Welcome to the Factory Youth Podcast. This is a weekly teaching podcast from the Factory Youth at Calvary Chapel, Vera Beach. We're going to be in Acts chapter 4. Like, this is pathetic. Um, all right, I just can't do my normal preacher voice. I have a preacher voice. It's funny, like, you can't really uh, do it at home. I, like, try. Sometimes I'll, like, say to Hannah, like, I'm going to try to do my, I just can't. I'll do it even in the car. Like, like, just try to do it. And then as soon as I get on stage, it, like, comes out. I'm like, where is this? All right. Um, Acts chapter 4. And uh, it says this. We're jumping in the middle of the story. I'll give us context in a moment. It says, then they called uh, them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. Okay, so I know we jumped in the middle of a story. What's happened is Peter and John, the two guys in question, have been arrested because they first healed a man that has been uh, paralyzed for his whole life. After that, people are like, man, that's the guy that's been paralyzed for his whole life, and now he's walking around. And they say, what's going on? And they preach the message of Jesus, and over 5,000 people respond to the gospel in that moment. I can't even imagine what it would look like in ancient Israel with no microphone um, to all of the, and to draw a crowd of 5,000 people in a span of a few minutes, and then all of a sudden somebody just says, it's Peter, but just goes, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell him about Jesus. And he shares, and 5,000 people were told that when he shared that people were cut to the heart. They began to realize, like, man, what he's talking about is truth, it's life, it's what we're looking for. So 5,000 people get saved, and then because of that, there's this big movement happening within uh, Israel, within Jerusalem. People are getting saved. They're following Jesus. And the disturbing part about this is the religious leaders killed Jesus because they thought if we kill him, we'll, we'll kind of conclude this whole chapter. Like this thing that's interfering with the way that we do religion and how we live our lives and all that stuff. If we just get rid of Jesus, um, then it'll go away. It'll stop. And they tried. Unfortunately, they didn't realize, like, hey, he's God. He came back to life. He ascended into heaven. He poured out a spirit upon the disciples. And then he told them to go share his message. And so after these people are being saved, they, they, the, Peter and John have been arrested. And now they're standing trial before them. And they're threatened to stop talking about Jesus. I love that. It says that they uh, said emphatically, commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. I like this kind of like, almost like empty-handed threat. You know, it's like, I mean, obviously they have some power and authority, but it's like, it's kind of like, you stop talking about him or else. And then they're like, right, you feel good about that? And Peter and John are just like, are you serious? And they respond. And listen again to his, his response. He says, which is right in God's eyes? To listen to you or to him, 
you be the judges. Now, it's interesting because they are being judges. He just flips the question, are you being judges? We cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. Here's the problem. Here's the the first sort of point tonight. Is they're dealing with competing commissions. Peter and John are dealing with what I'll call competing commissions or commands. Jesus had given his followers a very clear command or instruction. It's known as the Great Commission. This is what the disciples are called to go and do. Listen to in Mark chapter 16. Jesus said to them, go. Everyone say go. Go. Everyone say go. Go. Go into all the world and preach. Everyone say preach. Preach the gospel to all creation. It's an interesting word. Go into the world, preach the gospel to all creation. Notice a couple of things. First, he tells them to go. This is actively participate in what God's doing. Okay, in order to go, you can't stay, right? In order to go, you can't sit. Now, technically, in our day and age, you can because you sit in your car and you can go. But that's not the point. To go requires activity. Going requires intention. It it requires both decision, I'm going to do something, and action, here I am doing it. So the commission is first go, and then he says, preach the gospel to the whole world. The gospel, this idea, that word, um, does anybody know the exact definition of the word gospel? Good news, right? It's really simple. It's kind of a, it's one of those untranslated words, meaning we just took the original language and we made it sound more American or English. So gospel, what a direct translation is good news. Go into all the world and preach the good news. Well, what is that good news? Well, the gospel is the news that there is a way to have life to the full and to have eternal life through Jesus. You know, I think sometimes we are guilty of taking the gospel, which is good news, and making it seem like bad news or at best feel like normal news. Like almost like there's normal news is like um, if, you, if you go to the store and something costs $6 and they ring it up and they charge you $6, right? That's normal news, right? That's not like anything to like call anybody about. You're like, yeah, the milk was six bucks. I paid the six bucks. I went home. That's, that's normal news. Bad news is like, I'm going, running out to the grocery store to, to get milk, and it says six dollars, and you get to the counter, and they charge you 11. You're like, wait a second, that's bad news. Good news is it says six dollars, and you get to the counter, and it's free. What? Oh, so the person in front of you paid for it, it's covered. It's done. You can have it for re- That's good news, right? That like you get in the car and, and maybe you text them and be like, hey, the, mom, the milk is free. Why? Oh, the person in front of me paid for it. That's good news. Jesus says go into all the world and don't tell people bad news. Don't tell people ordinary news. Tell people good news. What's that good news? Well, there is a full life that you can live. A full life of purpose and satisfaction and identity and truth and hope and love and peace. Well, how do we get that life? Well, it's outside of yourself. You can't do it, but it's a gift to be received. 
Jesus has given us access to abundant life, the fullness of life here and now, and eternal life, a life to come in his presence where there's no more pain and no more sorrow and no more bronchitis and no more issues, right? There's fullness of life. And so Jesus says, go actively participate. You have a job to do. Share the gospel, the good news. And then it says to all creation, right? And to all the world, all creation. The idea, it's a funny translation, but really it's kind of just saying to anybody, to everyone. It's not saying like go and preach the gospel to, to trees and like your dog. Um, it's not what it's saying. It's just kind of generalizing because it's, it's recognizing that the gospel goes beyond the borders of Israel. Jesus, Jesus lived in a tiny sliver on the map. If, if you go onto like Google Maps right now or Apple Maps or whatever you use and start zooming in to find Israel, it's going to take you a while. It's tiny. Like zooming in, you're like, where is it? Okay, there's Egypt. I know it's got to be close to Egypt because they walked from there. Um, but you, it's weird because you can't necessarily get there by car. Um, you can, but not the way that they did it because they went over the Red Sea, which is a body of water. Um, so, so it's tiny is my point. And yet Jesus, from this tiny little place, he said, it's not just limited to this tiny little place. It's actually, this message is so good um, that it's going to get to a tiny town in Florida called Vero Beach. And in fact, 2,024 years from now, well, actually, it'd be like more like 2,000 years from now. It'd be like, whatever, um, from then. That, there's going to be a, a student ministry. There's going to be kids in junior high and high school that are going to hear this message and their lives are going to be transformed because a couple of disciples said, okay, we're going to obey that commission. This is the command from Jesus. The man that they saw heal the sick, preach the kingdom of God, calm the storm, and ultimately rise from the dead said, go, preach the gospel with all creation. But now there's a competing command. Do you see it? The new command is do not speak or teach in the name of Jesus. These two commands cancel each other out, right? You can only, you can't obey both. You can't both preach the gospel to all the world and not speak or teach the name of Jesus because the gospel, Jesus, this is the whole thing. This is the idea, so there's a competing command. And often in our lives, we deal with competing commands, don't we? Commands like, look out for others, but look out for yourself first. Um, commands like, walk in humility, but self-promote to get ahead. Uh, obey your parents. Don't listen to old people. Follow God and his word. Follow your heart and your truth. You're seeing there's competing commands that we have to, we have to decipher all the time. That there's, there's commands that say, hey, this is the best way to live. And then at the same time, a, a, a counter command will come into your life and say, actually, you should do this. And you have to discern what is the truer command or what is the realer command or what is the best command. Who do we choose to obey? Often we choose the loudest voices Right? The ones that we hear all the time. 
or maybe the most popular voices, the ones that we think will get us to where we want to go, um, or, or, or the ones that we think this will get us not to where we want to go, but what we want deep down. And so we think standing on this side of things, often we look down the road and we think, in order for me to get there, I'm going to have to do this, and so I'm going to obey these commands. The reality is we need to recognize that there's, a, there's really only one command that we should be obedient to. I love what they do. They're told, here's these competing commands. Go into all the world, that ringing true in their mind, from the guy that just died and rose again and then ascended into the clouds. Right? This is the guy that told him that. And then here's the religious leaders standing there and all of their like pomp and circumstance or whatever it looked like. They've got their like robes on and they're all serious. And they're like, don't you talk about Jesus anymore. And what do they do? Well, they flip the question. They say, should we listen to God or human authority? Perfect question. Right? This is like, this is like a page out of Jesus' book. Jesus would get questions, and he would not answer their questions. He would turn around and answer or ask them a question and then leave them speechless. Right? Like they'd be like, uh, is, it, uh, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? And he goes, does anybody have a coin? And they hand him a coin. And he goes, whose face is on the coin? And they're like, well, Caesar's? He's like, okay. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to God. Beautiful, right? Genius. Uh, another, another time, there's a whole crowd of people that have caught a woman in the act of adultery. And it seems like that she is, it was kind of like a plant, like a setup. Like they wanted to catch her in the very act. And so pulling her from the bedroom onto the floor before Jesus, this whole crowd of people standing around him, all of them have rocks in their hand because they say, in our law, it says that anybody caught in adultery, specifically any woman caught in adultery like this, is, is supposed to be killed with rocks. And they say, Jesus, what do you say? And we're told that Jesus stoops down to the ground and begins drawing in the sand. I can imagine them like, did you hear us? What is he doing? Drawing in the sand. And then he looks up to them and he says, any one of you without sin cast the first stone. And we're told one by one, they drop their rocks. They walk away. Jesus meets the girl right where she's at. And he says, where are your accusers? And they say, she's, they're gone. He says, I don't condemn you either. Go away. And then he tells her to not sin anymore. Right? Leave that old life behind. Walk into the new life. Jesus was, was awesome at flipping the question back on them. So here they are. We are telling you, don't talk about Jesus anymore. And then they say, well, what, what's better, to obey God or to obey human authority? Now they're trapped, right? If they say God, then they can't carry out their own plans. If they say human authority, then they're being disobedient to God. And they're like, ugh. They're broken. Later, they arrest Peter and John again because Peter and John disobey this command, right? They say, we're, we're going to preach the name of Jesus, and they tell them that. They get arrested in the very next chapter, and then he tells them bluntly, Acts chapter 5, verse 29, Peter and the other apostles replied, he says this, we must obey God rather than human beings. 
We must. We have to obey God rather than human beings. So, first thing we realize is, what do we do with competing commands? Well, we must obey God rather than human authority. And the second thing we see in the story is that we must make an active choice. We must choose to represent God. We have to choose to represent God. We must decide to make Jesus, his word, his plans, and his ways the highest authority in our life. Jesus has to be like our true north that guides our lives. And whenever we feel confused or alone or lost, Jesus has to be like that compass that sort of sets us back on the right direction. That true north, that, that re recaptures our imagination in our life and brings us back to the plans that he has for us. And can I encourage you? I know for many of us through life, we find ourselves wandering, like swinging like a pendulum where some days we feel like we're so close to God and some days we feel so far. Can I encourage you? Part of walking with Jesus is just allowing him to reset your focus in your life. I heard somebody say recently and encouraged me so much that uh, he felt bad because oftentimes when he would try to pray, he would get distracted like a hundred times. That's me. Literally, I try to pray and I'm like, all right, Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for all that you've done for me. I'm sure that lunch will be good today. I wonder what I'm having for lunch today. It's probably going to be something. Well, what's that over there? Right? Like, they're, they're, honestly. And... Oftentimes, it's easy to like beat yourself up, like, man, I'm not, I'm not very spiritual. Why can't I pray? And this person said, being distracted 100 times in prayer gives you 100 opportunities to come back to Jesus, 100 opportunities to reset your focus back on him. Man, what a beautiful invitation, isn't that? To allow ourselves to reset our attention back on Jesus. Maybe that's your life swinging, going to and fro, you have opportunity each and every day to reset your attention back on Jesus. He's got to be our true north beyond feelings or dreams or what college gives us a scholarship or what person slides into our DMs or whatever that looks like. Jesus is who we're following and representing. But listen to me, we also have to choose to represent him well. Because if you claim to be a follower of Jesus, you automatically represent him. The question is not, do you represent God? The question is, how do you represent God? Are you a good representation or not? I've shared this story before, but um, for the sake of tonight, I'm going to share it again. But there's a thing called uh, the Surf Expo, and it's a, it's a, have I told this story recently? Okay, no, okay. You're like, tell the story. We don't know. You just started. Um, surf Expo happens in Orlando. It's basically all of the companies in the surf industry uh, show off their new product line. My grandpa, who is uh, really big in the surf industry, he goes every year. And one year, he uh, invited me to come with him. And you have to have a very special like, security badge to get into it. And uh, I didn't have one. I was like, I don't have one. Um, I used to have like surf sponsors that would get me in, um, but then... I got old and got dropped by all of my sponsors. It's another sad story from another time. Um, and uh, so I was like, I don't, have, I don't have a way to get in. He's like, oh, don't worry about it. We'll figure it out when we get there. So we get there, and he, he calls someone. He's like, hey, my grandson needs a badge. Can you get me one? And uh, he's like, sure, come down. So he went down. I stayed up at the top. He disappeared for about 10, 15 minutes. And he came back a few minutes later, and he had Bob Hurley's badge. Now, Bob Hurley is the 
founder and namesake of the brand Hurley. So he had Bob Hurley's badge. And he goes, here, wear this one. So I like put it on. I'm not Bob Hurley. I didn't start Hurley. Um, I'm not, I don't have a massive house right on the beach in Newport. Um, don't hang out with John John Florence every day. Like, that's not my life. I'm Nathan Gallagher. But I put, I put this badge on, and to the security, and as I walked down into the, the Surf Expo, I, in a sense, was Bob Hurley. Or better put, I was at the very least representing him. Right? So if I went down there and like stole a bunch of product or knocked a bunch of stuff over or act like a clown, um, they'd be like, who are you? And I'm representing someone. But it's the same way like when we talk about tonight, like rep your school. Whether you wore your school colors or not, because you go to that school, you represent that school. It's the same with your family, right? Uh, you share their last name or you live in their house. And so whatever you do represents that family. The choice then is do you represent them well or not? Like is this a good summary of, for my sake, the Gallagher name? I remember when I went to Master's Academy and the principal had to tell me like, hey, um, we're about to expel you. And uh, because you're just, you just shouldn't be here anymore. Um, but they're like, but because of your family, because your dad is a pastor here, we want to give you the opportunity to maybe uh, leave the school uh, so we don't have to expel you from the school. And so my parents are like, I think it would be better if the pastor of Calvary Chapel's kid didn't get expelled from the Christian school, um, but instead he just quietly exited halfway through his seventh grade year from the Christian school. Right? In other words, you are not representing your family well. Bigger than that, right? Bigger than family, bigger than school, bigger than surf companies. How do we represent God? And ultimately, if we say, like, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a Christian, I believe and I want to follow after him, you wear that jersey, you wear that badge, you wear that name. So the question is, how do you represent him? Because then if you're wearing that name, everything you do represents him. The problem is we've got a lot of Christians that are making Jesus look pretty weird or pretty bad or pretty unwelcoming or unforgiving or not compassionate, or not gracious, or not kind, or not loving. And so what do we do? we got to represent him well. You're called not to just represent him, but be a good representation of him. Listen to this, 2 Corinthians 3 says it like this. You are our epistles written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you're an epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. An epistle is a letter, right? It's, a, it's, a, it's most commonly known as a letter in the Bible. Starting with the book of Romans, going all the way through the book of Jude, those are epistles. He says, you're, a, you're an epistle, you're a living epistle. In other words, you're a living testimony of God's word. Right? It's been said that some people might never read the Bible, but they'll look at your life. So if you're a follower of Jesus, if you said, yeah, I, I follow Jesus, and if somebody were to just watch your life, what would, they, what would they learn about Jesus just watching your life? 
Like, man, Jesus is a gossip. Man, Jesus is a bad driver. Man, Jesus is late to all of his appointments. Man, Jesus is, Jesus is kind of a jerk to his mom. You, you get the point? Like, you are a living testimony of the word of God. Or they could look at your life and be like, man, Jesus is really compassionate. Jesus likes to sit with people that nobody else is sitting with. Man, Jesus keeps his word. Jesus shows up when he says he's going to be there. Jesus is, is faithful to the friends even when they don't respond for weeks or even years. He's committed. He doesn't give up on people. Like your life actually has an opportunity to be a testimony of who Jesus is and how he works. So how do we represent him well? One really simple way. Ready for it? Ready to learn how to represent him well? Are you ready to learn how to represent him well? Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> Any guesses? Any guesses on what I'm going to say? It's a good guess. No? Anyone else? This is just fun. Nope. All right. One word. Obedience. Because all other commands um, from Jesus will be lived out um, if you learn to practice obedience, right? The command to love will be walked out if you practice obedience because he said you should love your neighbor as yourself, right? The command to be uh, kind and compassionate will be walked out because he said to do so and you're being obedient. The command to not walk in the flesh but to walk in the spirit will be carried out because you're living obediently, when we say yes to the things of God and we say no to the competing commands from the world around us, we actually become a better representation of Christ. All the things that God has called you to do and will call you to do can be summarized through obedience. You want to walk in the things that God has for you. You want your life to be a representation of Christ in a way that brings him glory and you satisfaction. Walk in obedience. Now, obviously, we looked at, there's compete, competing, competing commands, competing commands, competing commands. So who do we obey? Well, God has to be our highest authority, right? And that means sometimes, like, like Peter and John, that means being disobedient to something else. And probably, I mean, you're probably not going to be arrested and, like, threatened Stop talking about Jesus. Um, but you could get, like, left out of group chats, right? I mean, you could, like, get uh, uh, weird glances in the hallway. Um, you could get scheduled less at your job. Like, there's really real threats that happen when people say, I'm going to choose to be obedient to God above everybody else. It might happen. But then we just have to ask ourselves the question, who's the highest authority in our life? Is it better for me to listen to God or man? Well, God. And so I'm going to choose that as the highest authority, be obedient to him and allow God to take care of the details, not worry about me having to take care of the details. Are you hearing me? God wants to work things out in your life. He cares for you. He's got plans for you. 
In fact, he's got your life and his plans. He's doing something and you fit in somewhere. And so, as we learn obedience, we get to embrace and walk in those plans.